gospel. The gospel is that there is this infinite, almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful creator God who created all things for his glory. And you and I have belittled that, belittled his name, belittled his glory. Every one of us have at one time or another, or actually currently, believe that our way is better than God's. We fail to acknowledge, give him glory for the gifts he's given us. We question his rule and his authority, while at the same time doing that with the brain he gave us and holds together, and the lungs and the air that he gave us to breathe with. This is the great blasphemy of the universe. So we've all belittled God, and God being just right and holy is not going to allow the belittlement of his name. God then, not being able to spare wrath, sends Christ in the flesh and crushes him. And in so doing, pours out his wrath against the children of God onto the Son, killing him. Then God raises him from the dead. And that same power that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in those who would believe. This is the gospel. That you and I have right standing before God. Not by our efforts, not by our works, not by our skill, not by whether or not we cuss or don't cuss, drink or don't drink, watch this, don't watch this, do this, don't do that. Justified before God by the cross of Christ alone. Your lust... You're not going to be able to fix it. Your bitterness, you're not going to be able to fix it. Your rage, anger, those deviances that have been following you around, you don't possess the power of life and death. You can't resurrect anything. Christ came. That's the good news. That's why we don't celebrate us. That's why we continually celebrate Him. We boast in the cross and the cross alone, the same power that is at work in raising Christ from the dead, that work in me and work in all who believe. This is the gospel. Well, this is what we keep coming back to. This is a foundation for our desire, our pursuit of holiness. It all flows up from the gospel. Without it, all that we have is our flesh. And just notice what Paul writes in Romans 8, 7 and 8. He says, The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. And listen to this. Nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. There is nothing within your flesh that can please God. There's nothing within my flesh that can do that. And so when we talk about God's grace, we talk about two things. Number one is that he saved us from the penalty of our sin. It's the wrath of God which is poured out because of our sin. This is by grace, through faith, not by works. We talk about that a lot about here, around here. But we're talking in this series about a second thing God does, and that's not just save us from the penalty of sin. God desires to save us from the power of sin. The power of sin as well. Those sins that enslave us. You know those sins that he continues to forgive us for? Uh, God desires a day when he no longer has to keep forgiving us for the same sins over and over and over again. He wants to allow us, he wants to give us power over those sins, not just freedom from the penalty of our sin. 
So we realize freedom from the penalty is not by human effort. It's by the work of God. Freedom from the power of sin involves our effort and our cooperation. It, it, it involves our cooperation with God. You know, it's kind of like this. I'll give you a, just a, an example. It's kind of like if you went into the church kitchen and, and the place was on fire. Okay? The, uh, the pastor left the stove on overnight or something like that. This could happen, okay? So if you work around here, you know this could happen. So you walk in and you're going, I, I don't know what to do. I can't, I can't put this fire out. And all of a sudden you remember there's a fire extinguisher on the wall. And, and someone made that extinguisher and there's substance in there that'll put out the fire and there's, a, there's a pressure in there that'll do it and it, there's a container. But you have to go pick it up and take it off the wall and point it at the fire and pull the trigger. You didn't create the substance, you didn't create the thing that will do it, but you have to, you have to cooperate. You, there's something that you have to do and that is how it is with the sin in our life. There, there's an effort that we need to put forth. We can't do it without God, but God won't do it without us. And so that's what we're looking at here. <clears throat> so here's, here is the big picture again. I think big pictures are really important. Number one, we're born with a sinful nature. Every one of us here was born with a sinful nature. As Paul writes, which cannot please God. Second truth, the big picture is we are born thus spiritually dead. The Bible says in Ephesians that we are dead in our transgressions and sins. So we're, we're born with a sinful nature, which means that we're spiritually dead, and we have, this, we have this hole in our heart. We're born with a hole in our heart. We're born with this, this fact that we're spiritually dead causes us to to realize there's something missing. God did not create us for spiritual deadness. He created us to live in relationship with him. So when that's gone, there's something in us that goes, something's drastically wrong. Something's missing. I'm, I'm searching for something in my life. And so we have this hole, and the sinful nature is always trying to fill that. Always looking for that thing that will do it. And so, lust, what we hear, when we read the word lust in the Bible, this is desire gone bad. There's nothing wrong with desire. There's nothing wrong with desiring to fill this hole. But when, it's, when that desire goes astray, the Bible calls it lust. The lust of the flesh, the lust of eyes, the pride of life. And, and the reason we give in to those things that we think will satisfy is because sin is very deceptive. And, and then add to that the fact that we have been sinned against, that we have wounds in our lives that are unhealed, and our sinful nature is trying to cope with that. And then these coping methods become patterns and habits Habits, habitual ways of thinking and habitual ways of acting in our lives. And so, here's the conclusion. Man is lost without hope and cannot please God. Man is lost without hope and cannot please God. 
even if he desires to, cannot please God. And so God acted. God acted. While we were yet sinners, while we were in this predicament of sinful nature, spiritually dead, trying to fill up that hole with all kinds of other things, lusting after things that don't work, and dishonor God and developing patterns and habits, Christ comes in and he saves us. We can't fix ourselves, so God comes. In the person of Christ, he lives a perfect life. He dies on that cross to forgive us of our sin so that we can be restored and so that we can find this spiritual life. That's what the gospel brings. It brings new life. It brings us, the Bible calls it a born-again experience. Something to give us life where there's deadness. So that this hole can be filled. And when that happens, when that happens to you and you genuinely experience it, you say, this, this is what I've been looking for. This satisfied my soul. Now, not completely. Paul writes, you know, even we who have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, we groan within ourselves longing to be complete. But you begin to experience when, when through the gospel and forgiveness you're restored in relationship to God, you can begin to experience this something in your soul that's finally satisfying it. And so we, we come to God with our lives and he forgives us through his son Jesus Christ. But we have all these ways of thinking and acting that we've developed over the years. And he invites us back into relationship with him and, and we walk into his presence and he looks at us and he says, okay, now let's, let's see if we can't clean you up. You know, we, we get ourselves pretty dirty out there and God's desire is to clean us up. That is the process of pursuing holiness. Let's see if we can't start to heal some of these wounds in your life that are creating all this chaos and all this dysfunction out here. Let's see if we can't, let's see if we can't restore you. That's the process of pursuing holiness. Let's see if we can't take this old nature and its habitual ways of thinking and acting and let's see if we can't, if you can't begin to live out of this new nature now that I'm, I'm giving to you. So how do we do that? We've been talking the last three weeks about mortifying, crucifying, whatever word you want to use, but subduing this flesh and living by out of the newness of the Spirit of God within us. We looked at these two texts, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, Galatians 5, 16 through 18. Those are the text. Let me just read them again. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. He says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have power to demolish strongholds, divine power to, to demolish strongholds. So God has given us weapons that can demolish these strongholds in our flesh, these patterns and habitual ways of thinking that we have developed over time. In Galatians 5, 16 through 18, 
He says, so I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And so last, son, last week, we began to talk about three weapons, three resources that God has given us to mortify the flesh, to, to overcome those desires in our lives, to tackle those sins that plague us. So let me just mention, we'll kind of just review the first two, and then we're going to finish up on the last one that you didn't, I didn't give you last week. The first thing I said, I talked about was just this point of awareness. You know, if you're going to fight a battle, you need to be aware that it's going on. And so, we need to become aware of where the battleground is. You know, where's that area in your life that you are most vulnerable? Because we all have different areas that we're vulnerable to the sinful nature. We all have different ways we learn to cope with the difficulties of our lives ungodly ways that we used to cope. Because you see, the flesh will never look to God to cope. The flesh will always look to finding out some way apart from God to cope. And so we need to become aware. We, we talked about strongholds and, and looking at that. You know what a stronghold is? It's very simple. A stronghold is something that has a strong hold on you. So what are those things that have a, a strong hold in your life? And then once you identify, once you become aware of what that is, then you need to apply these weapons. And last week we looked at the first one, the Spirit of God. It, it says here that if, if you live by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So if you and I can live by the Spirit, then we're not going to keep giving in to whatever those fleshly desires are. You know, and often what we do is when, when there's something in our lives that we're struggling with and we want to defeat it, we like we focus in on that thing, whatever it is. And we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna discipline ourselves or do this and we're gonna we're gonna deal with it. And so all we think about is that. This says if you want to not gratify those desires, you need to focus on the Spirit of God. You need to focus on how you can be walking with the Spirit of God. And it's amazing what things will begin to fall away in your life when you begin to focus on the Spirit of God. This is a powerful, powerful, powerful weapon. I mean, when you believe that God gives you the Holy Spirit when you invite Christ into your life. So did, did you hear what I just said? That when you, by faith, invite Christ into your life, that the very Holy Spirit, the member of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, in its fullness, comes into your life. Think about that. That the Spirit of the God who created the universe comes into your life. This isn't a force. This isn't a, 
Casper, the friendly ghost kind of spirit. This is, this is the Holy Spirit of God that comes into our lives. You know, it's kind of like if you have a house and, and you inherit this house and after you get into it, you realize all the things that are wrong with it. All of a sudden you realize the, the, the wiring's bad and there's mold in the walls and the foundation is crumbling and, and you cry out to God and you, and you call him up and you say, God, my, my house is a mess. I don't think I can handle this. Could you give me some advice? And you cry out and, and next thing you know, he's knocking at the door. You go, wow, I didn't know you were going to come personally. And so you open the door and, and invite him to step in. And he says, I, I'm here to, to help. And, and you say, well, are you actually going to come here and spend the day with me? He said, no, I, I'm moving in. I've come to live with you. I've come to dwell with you. I've come permanently. And we're going to take every room in the house one by one. We're going to start with the kitchen, and then we're going to move to the living room, and then the, the back room, and, and then the basement, and the attic, and the upstairs. We're going to walk through this house, and we're going to transform this house room by room, you and I together, and at night we'll sit down and, and drink a cup of coffee together and just enjoy one another's company. This is what I desire to do in your life, and when we are done, when we are done someday, and it'll be a long process, but when we're done, you will not even recognize this house. That's what God is desiring in each of our lives, this kind of restorative process. So this is what we're looking for. This is what you are looking for. You're not looking for sex. You're not looking for drugs. You're not looking for success. You're not looking for the latest piece of technology out there that you don't have yet. You're not looking for all these fleshly appetites. You are looking for an intimate relationship with God who created you for that very purpose. And a restoring, a getting rid of this old stuff that keeps putting up barriers between us and God and living out the new. And so the Spirit of God is so critical in this battle. Here's the second one. The second one is the Word of God. And this is absolutely indispensable. The Word of God. You see, the Spirit of God is what gives us the power. It gives us the power to, to live and pursue holiness in our lives. The Word of God is what gives us direction as to how to do that. So, the Word... Without the Spirit of God is powerless, but the Spirit of God without the Word of God is directionless. And so the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to direct us. You know, if, if, the, if we're talking about this highway of holiness, it's the Word of God that shows us where the shoulder ends and where the ditch starts. In the summer, we're going to be looking, I'm going to continue this series through the title, American Idol. And we're going to look at the road of holiness and we're going to see where those ditches are because like when I grew up in North Dakota and the winds would blow and the snow would come, you couldn't even tell where the edge of the road was. That's, that's the culture. That's how many people experience this culture. They have no idea anymore where the edges, where the boundaries of the road are and how to stay out of those unholy ditches in people's lives.
Scripture says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. And the battlefield, the battlefield that you're involved in is right here. It's in your mind. Your battle is in the mind. My battle is in the mind. We are renewed. Be there transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so, as the Word of God speaks to our thoughts, that is where the battle takes place. And we looked last week at the fact that, you know, the Word of God is what God wants to, wants to, to get into our minds. We believe and thus live out so many things that are in line with the Word of God in our lives. I mean, I hear people say, I hear people say something, I'll give you an example. People say something like, I don't think I'm very important. I don't think I'm, I don't, I don't really don't believe I'm, I'm very important. So let me get this straight. Jesus Christ died for you. When you invited Christ, if you've done that, when you invited Christ into your life, all of heaven threw a party for you. Because they were so thrilled of what had happened in your life. You have a spirit of God who right now is praying for you when you don't even know how to pray for yourself. The Bible says he cries out in groans. He cries out to God on your behalf. And you're saying you're not important. The Father sings over you. He has chosen you. He's adopted you. He's redeemed you. He has this amazing plan to bless your life, and you're going to say, I'm not important. Where does that come from? It does not come from the Word of God. It comes from out there. It comes from the culture. It comes from that jealous girlfriend who told you you were ugly. It comes from some airbrushed model who says you don't measure up without speaking a word. It comes from some unhealthy parent who didn't have the foggiest idea how to nurture you as a child. That's where it comes from, but it doesn't come from God. And so the battle is up here. It's up here, and it's getting the word of God up here and getting out of here the things of the culture, the things of our flesh that have been put up here and that we, that we live and believe all of those lies that are there. You take the word of God, you take the spirit of God, and you put faith and belief in that word of God, and you will demolish any stronghold. Any stronghold in your life. You take the Spirit of God and the Word of God and have faith in that Word of God. You begin to actually believe that you are so valued to God. And you won't care what those other people think because the God of the universe thinks something if you believe it. If, if, you're, if you're able to take that Word of God and to believe it by faith, that will dismantle strongholds in your life. Well, here's the last thing this morning. And <clears throat> these final 10 minutes here, I, I want to share this last one. The third great weapon. We have the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And the third one is the people of God. The people of God. I remember growing up hearing this thing of kind of this attitude like, you know, it's just, it's just me and God and the Bible. Me and God in the Bible. 
Or people say, you know what, I believe in Jesus, but I don't have time for the church. Well, you won't find that in here. You will not find that in here. The church is the bride. You're going to tell Christ you don't have time for his bride? You've you, you got a girlfriend or, or somebody that you love, and somebody comes up and says, well, I'll spend time with you, but I, I, I don't care about your, you know, I don't care about this person that's so important. I don't care about the person that you died for, you loved so much. And so, Christ has a head and he has a body, right? Christ is the head of the church. He said, I he said, this is my body. He calls the church the body of Christ. And so when God wants to speak to you, he'll speak through his body. When God wants to touch you, he will touch you through his body. When he wants to give you a hug, he will hug you through his body body connected with his head. And you know, maybe you were in a church. Maybe you grew up in a church where that kind of thing didn't happen, where you hated the church. We said, if this is what God is like, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Sad to say, there are places like that. Perhaps you just grew up in a religious institution or some organization. But that's not the way it is. Not... not where the body of Christ is being filled by the Spirit of Christ and is functioning as God designed the body of Christ to function. In that kind of a setting, the people of God are very powerful, very powerful in our experiencing victory over those things of our flesh. I, <clears throat> just a quote, I want a couple quotes, a couple paragraphs I wanted to read from how the Christ enables the church to build itself. <clears throat> I wonder if the frequency and seriousness of many problems that Christians face is not owing to the fact that most Christians in America do not experience relational, interpersonal, supernatural church life the way the New Testament describes it. Psychological problems, marriage problems, parenting problems, self-identity problems, financial problems, career loneliness, addictions, phobias, weaknesses, I wonder if the epidemic of emotional and psychological woes is not a symptom of an organic flaw in the way most Christians experience corporate church life. If God designed the church to function like a body with every member ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit to the other members in regular interpersonal relationship, then would it be surprising to find that the neglect of this regular interpersonal spiritual ministry cripples the body in some of its functions and causes parts of the body to be weak and sick. Isn't that what you would expect? You simply can't read the New Testament in search of what church life is supposed to be like and come away thinking that worship services and a few classes are the sum total of what the church was supposed to be. There is a tremendous power that God has designed in the church. But we have to function as the church if we're going to experience that. We can't, we can't do this thing alone. We need people to confess to, to talk to, to, to cry with, to pray with. We cannot do it alone. 
Let me just conclude here in the last five minutes. Let me just give you an example. <clears throat> Her name is, do we have any Janes here? I don't want anybody to think I'm talking about them. Okay, I didn't think we had any Janes here, so let's just call her Jane. She begins praying this prayer because she hears this message from her pastor, and, he, and, and she begins to pray this prayer. Lord, search me and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Test me. She begins to pray that prayer that David prayed and say, you know, God, would you just show me if there's something in my life? And one day she's reading through her Bible and she comes across a passage she's read many times that says, be anxious in nothing. From Philippians, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God will guard your heart and mind. She's reading this. She's heard sermons on it. She's read it. And all of a sudden it just, she comes on this conviction like, I live my life in anxiety most of the time. I am always worrying about something. I'm worrying about my kids. I'm worrying about this. That's me. And, and, and Jane has lived her life so long this way that it becomes normal. See, that's what strongholds are. They're habitual ways of thinking, and they become just like normal life. And we don't realize they're contrary to what God has for us. And so she realizes this, and she goes, my goodness. My goodness, I'm 40 years old, and I'm, I'm, I'm just realizing I've lived all my life this way. Contrary, this is sin. This isn't the way God designed me to live. And, and anxiety, he designed, he designed me to live in peace. That's what the Word says here. And so that week, she does something she's never done before. She's kind of a, pers kind of a shy person, but after the women's Bible study, she says, it took a lot of boldness, but she said, I, could I share something? She said, you know, uh, this week God spoke to me, and, and I just want to tell you, ladies, that I, I am I'm a worrier. I, I worry about everything. And that's not right. And so she shares this, and, and after the meeting, a gal comes up and says, you know what? That's me. I'm, I'm just like you. Maybe, maybe the two of us could get together and we could uh, pray for each other and, and even hold each other accountable. And so they began this relationship with each other. And, and then she begins reading her Bible and, and she decides she's going to do a study through the New Testament and see everything it says about not worrying and about trusting God. And, and as she's doing this, God begins to speak to her and the Holy Spirit of God begins to convict her and say, you know what? You know what? You know what the deeper rooted problem here is that you don't trust God. It's not just that you're worrying, it's that you don't trust God. God has made all these promises to you to take care of you and all this, and you are, you are not believing him. You are not trusting God. And she began to read through in Israel how when they were in the wilderness, they were worried about their kids, they're not going to have enough water and food, and how upset God was that they refused to trust him. So she began putting up everywhere in her house the word of God and began to do battle with these thoughts in her mind. And she began to get into her thinking and into her brain things like, you know, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Why do you worry about the, 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 your clothes and your food? You know, the lilies of the field, they'll look at God takes care of the sparrow. She began to just fill her mind with the word of God. And then at one, a few months down the road, she was praying and, and, and God revealed to her a, a deep source of a wound in her life, a deep distrust for her father. 
And God brought up this because this was one of the reasons why she was having such a difficult time trusting God and her, her own heavenly father. And so he, he, he brought into a process to begin to deal with that wound in her life. And God just began, continued that, that work in her and, and through her. About a year later, a friend remarked one day and said, Jane, you, you just seem different. I don't know, you just seem more calm and just more, not so hyper and, and, and more at rest. And, and Jane realized, looking back, that God had done an amazing work in this stronghold in her life. She, she still had her moments, but now she's experiencing many hours through the day where, where she was just at rest and, and at peace. And she realized that God had done a work, an amazing work in her life. The Spirit of God using the Word of God in the context of the people of God that's how God wants to win victories in your life and in mine. Let me just conclude with this. You know, during World War II, there was a, a gentleman by the name of William Joyce. He was nicknamed Lord Ha-Ha. Any of you heard of him? Lord Ha-Ha was a propagandist from Britain who was in Germany, and he was broadcasting into Britain, and he was saying how the Germans really had the best of interest, you know, of other people in mind, and he was broadcast about how they would never win the war. And when the war was over, he was captured, he was tried by Britain, and he was hung for treason. Uh, this is all involved with the Nazi regime and that, that whole thing that took place. Lord Haha. Some of us have been listening to Lord Haha. Who's been seeking to discourage, to say, you can never win that battle. And I just want to call him out for who he is today. He's a liar. He's a propagandist. He does not represent the truth. And so here's the word of God today. And I want to leave you with this verse this morning. And I want to challenge you to pray that prayer, God, search me. And when God searches you and shows you something, to take the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the people of God and demolish strongholds in your life and keep moving on. Keep moving on in what God has for you. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And here's the verse I want to give you from Philippians 1, 4, to 4 and 6. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day and now until now, being confident of this. And here it is. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. That is God's promise to you. Father, this morning... Pray for anyone here who has not received the Spirit of Christ into their life, this amazing gift of your very Spirit, through faith in the person of Christ and his work on the cross, Lord, you will come in and you will begin this renovation of our lives. And so I pray for anyone here today, if you've opened their eyes to their need, that you would just uh, 
also open their hearts to the, that they might receive you by faith this morning. And Father, for those of us who, who have received your Spirit and, and now are in this process with these natures of ours that, that have developed habits and ways of thinking and acting that are contrary to your will, Father, May we use these weapons that you've given to us. May you grant us faith to know that no matter what the stronghold, it can be demolished. And Father, might we remember these words, that you who began this work of renovation in us, that you are going to be faithful to complete that work, and that you will do so until the day of Jesus Christ. Lord, just bless your word to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. <clears throat>